Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I am delighted to be with you. I'm sitting in an incredibly spacious, soundproof room somewhere in San Francisco. Um, it's actually in the orbit of San Francisco. We may talk about the specific area, but before I get to that, we should define who that we is. I'm, of course, talking about Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, Michael Moynihan, Vice News, and we're comrades. We're not in the soundproof room. <laughs> No, not not quite. There's a yet. dump truck going on outside. It's police car. Chinese firemen. It's the sounds of the city. <laughs> the thing that people uh, would be misconstruing, perhaps, uh, by listening to your description of your super sexy um, San Francisco adjacent recording studios, Camille, is that you have a, a laundry basket over yeah, your right you shoulder. Um, yeah, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's what is that? A, is that a rattan? It's a basket? picnic basket. Yeah, what is in that? Yeah, it's an. Accent. Is it full of Adderall? It's an accent piece, and it has blankets in it because I'm in a spacious theater room, <laughs> and occasionally people will come here and they'll sit. Uh, that's terrible. In these very posh sofas. Wait, so is it is it possible someone might come in right now? No, I don't think anybody else is here. But if someone does, that could be that could be exciting. That'd be great. Who we should make them a guest. Witness. Whoever comes in should be a guest. And they better be talking about <laughs> sure. their like <laughs> yeah. B2C solutions. Yeah, it's gonna be like, <laughs> well, I have a uh, a uh, a seed fund for like oh god. You've been harvesting AI. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone here has a seed fund. Yeah, I don't even know what that is, but I'm sure it's good. <laughs> that is the one thing I'll say I miss, having recently made the move from the East Coast to the West Coast, from New York City to the orbit of um, San Francisco. I miss the urgency of New York. Even in the midst of the pandemic, everyone who is working, they're doing their job. They're very serious about it. Here you go to the hardware store and like getting help is always a bit of a struggle. I dropped off some stuff at the dry cleaners as as I do pretty regularly because I'm a clothes horse and I am obsessed with my own appearance. And I have yeah. an intimate relationship with my New York dry cleaner. The Tiburon dry cleaner doesn't work nearly as well. Like Tib- I go in, I say, how long will this take? They tell me a week to get my shit back. A week? My guy does it overnight. Like you do, Your guy overnight. does it in his bedroom. He just like throws and then when it in I the get machine. It, when I get it back, you know, the <laughs> creases are just like I like them and everything else. This took a week, a week of waiting, and they still didn't manage to get the creases right. And that's only one of many areas where I've found that. But otherwise, it's objectively beautiful here, and I, I dig it a lot, although I, I miss the proximity to you gentlemen. Um, and uh, well, I'll you be know, back soon. You know what you're not going to miss? Um, tonight, I was... Uh, in Chelsea, <laughs> doing some errands, and I um, was freezing. You don't miss that. I had like a big coat no, on with like no. a furry top on it. I, I, you know, looked like something from like a Russian novel. I was just like ambling down the street. Just a bad like oasis. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was actually going to say I kind of looked like Liam Gallagher, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, like you know with that monkey like look and the you know. So I'm I'm walking down the street and uh, I'm starving, and of course our leadership here has decided that all of the COVID transmissions amongst 87 year olds are happening at restaurants in New York city. And uh, so, and like, there's actually evidence that it's not 
happening in restaurants in New York City. So I find a restaurant where there's outdoor seating with a, um, a heat lamp, right? The heat lamp, first of all, doesn't really work. And second of all, they haven't thought about it because they're not sitting in the chairs. They're just like serving you. The the metal chairs that they have outside are really fucking cold. It's 28 degrees. It's 28 degrees. And I'm like in sitting in the metal chair. And I'm like, I got a Michelada because I'm a complete piece of trash. And I drink a couple of Micheladas. This guy's like, do you want a hot toddy? I'm like, no, just give me like a, a crappy Michelada. Had those. And I'm like, okay, I have my meal. And it's really hard to eat. And I walk out. And now I'm walking down um, 7th Avenue. And I cross. 14th Street, and I'm going towards like the sort of the West Village, and I look, and there's this big uh, Equinox gym, and it's fucking full. No, yes, the glass <laughs> at the top, and they all have stupid masks on that barely fit them and stuff, and they're up there like you know huffing and puffing, doing their shit. I'm like, I can't even go into a restaurant and get a sandwich, and these guys are like literally broing out in the gym in the West Village, and then of course I get on the subway to come down here. And, you know, I get in a fucking argument with somebody and somebody's like trying to shake down my friend. It's just a bad scene. And I realized that then I go to get um, um, nicotine products here. And the guy in front of me is like just awful. And I realized that New York is like there are basically three types of people. There are people who are like way too confident, like overly confident New Yorkers. They think they're like really cool. And then there's people who are super self-conscious, but that, you know, kind of projects as confidence. They're like trying to be, and then there's crazy people and that's it. There's the only people in New York city. There's people who are like getting shit done. No, like... there aren't. They moved. <laughs> They're all gone. They're all in Timaroon. Mr. Martinez is still getting the good avocados, at the bodega in my neighborhood. Yeah. Right? Like, but I'm talking about white people who suck. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah. like, I'm not talking about like immigrants who like work hard. That's and, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and we like them and they're like doing all the great stuff. And like, they're all nice. And then all the other people that are natives are just the worst. Especially because they're not natives. They're all from Cleveland. But just so. to be clear, you got into yet another argument with another human being on, yeah. on the subway. Yeah. Well, getting into the just subway. today. Who was trying to shake down. And I was just like, and then he was like, what'd you say to me? And I'm like, what, what are you fuck? You know what I said to you? Don't do the what'd you. Why do people say that? Like, what'd you say to me? Are they buying time to think about where they're going to stab you? Because, like, why does everyone say that? You, you know get, what I said. You get into more, like, conf random confrontations with people than Joe Pesci I in am, movies. I am a fucking superhero, Matt. I am the Avenger <laughs> for you, for every rude person. I am the you Avenger. You put on a little, like, beret and a red satin jacket. And I you're do. Like, I'm ready to, I do. to do some I kicks. do. I am, I am, like, the, like, thin, -der, skinny Curtis Lee. I am, Curtis Lee was old. I am the new Curtis Lee. <laughs> well, this is people. People ask questions like Camille. Why would you? Why would you abandon New York and Brooklyn? Why would you leave and go to? Oh my God, San Francisco. Well, one, I didn't go to San Francisco, and that's an important distinction, and we can talk about that later. But two, the reality that there is a high probability, or at least very non-zero probability, that you'll get into like some street altercation with another New Yorker yes. is like pretty high. The possibility yeah. of that happening in Tiburon is very low. Yeah. And if it happens in New York, people walk by because it's fucking normal. Because just this happens. You're upset. In fact, that's probably the first time I've used the F word in like a week. Like that's how much being here in Tiburon, <laughs> walking the dog next to the bay, watching watching seals frolic. Yeah. Every time I walk my dog, there are seals Jesus frolicking Christ. in the water. And I walk beside it. I remember. It's I, I, saw, I saw a seal 
the singer once <laughs> in a bar. Yeah, I did. And like, I, he had within within one week, Mills gonna be like one week for my 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 clothes. Great man, that's yeah. that's fast. <laughs> it's yeah. really really fast. Yeah. I also had marijuana delivered to my house by this pleasant young man, and it was great. All right. I mean, I'll tell you what though. Is it, is it wrong for me to say this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It is. So whatever. I don't even. You know, like, there's not <laughs> 210 it. episodes of me saying <laughs> shit that doesn't, doesn't matter at this point, does it? Um, no. It's like you know what the problem is? Is that when it's cold, you know who's left? The crazy homeless people. Not like the kind of mm. like crust punk. Like I'm gonna like sit here with my dog and be kind of annoying. But the ones with like the wild eyes. Yeah. And like the you know like the electrical like cord for a belt and like just oh that, that's what the guy had today and then like the sh- shouting that and that's it yeah it was the one guy today I mean there I were mean, a couple you would have to be super duper crazy to not find a shelter what well, the, 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 the snow on the, the, ground. the amazing thing is that snow. they're always wearing like a t shirt and I'm like what drug are you on that makes you this warm <laughs> like, a woman uh, in our neighborhood uh, as just yesterday, the day before, when I was walking with my 12-year-old, uh, she was outside of Starbucks, um, said that she was uh, pregnant with twins. Whoa. And that she hadn't eaten for two weeks. Like, it was the, like every story was compounded. The only thing that was missing was the, like, you know. Uh, my car I, broke down. I'm, I'm waiting for my check from the Veterans Affairs because, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a yeah. veteran. For yeah. I and served like, in the Peloponnesian Wars. There was zero chance that she was pregnant. <laughs> At all, she was just like a yeah. a fifty eight yeah. year goiter. old woman with a with a, with a goiter. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and that woman is now Mrs. Matt Welch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a charming story. I went it all again. Oh my god! I love that, like a homeless person or like a crazy person or a liar, whatever you want to say would come up to you looking like this now and thinking they're going to get money for Well, you. the thing is, <laughs> I would come up to you and be like, hey, where, which, where, which bridge are you staying on? I don't. Well, no, he, I don't, he has an Axel, an Axel Rose vibe today. Like, yeah, he really today. Like uh, to be fair, it's on the street, so like I'm, I'm like hooded up. You can't see the degradations that, <laughs> yeah, have, that have happened yeah, to me yeah. in 2020, <laughs> as evidently. And also, she could tell that I had a, a nice 12-year-old daughter. Like who might be, mm, yeah. Who might be the weak point? Yes. Here, I, I I told you guys the heart of stone story, right? I think you did. Like when you didn't give money to somebody. I not only didn't give money, it was and it was a total like lying piece of garbage, yeah, yeah. like a crust punk guy on the F train who I'd seen a bunch of different times. But like he was telling the sob story, which was all lies, and I was like dressed to go on TV. So like, and I'm like thinking, I'm like, you know, what important things am I going to say to? You know, Chris Hayes um, and uh, practicing your zinger. No, we don't do that, as you well know, uh, Camille. But like, uh, like, well, I did- Chris, I think he's making America worse. <laughs> yeah, anyone? No, nobody. Uh, you know, you're just in your zone. You're in the New York subway. And the guy like I unbeknownst to me or like I just didn't realize until like two or three stops later, he'd been right next to me with his rap like staring at me indicting me for being everything that's wrong with the world and then actually started chanting heart of stone heart of stone he started chanting yeah right in front of me pointing it at me and I was just like oblivious I'm just like looking at my phone you started singing the Rolling Stones Um, no so like you can imagine like the, the the conflict here because by the time that I realized that he'd been chanting heart of stone in my face in an aggressive way for like a good five minutes I wanted to like congratulate him on his game, 
because it's kind of, and also I wanted to to reveal how funny I thought it was that I didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. Wh- so what do you do in that situation? And so I thought that the the most important thing to do, both for him and for me, was to still maintain the completely impassive. I'm not even hearing you. Yeah. I don't speak your language. Uh, thing, no. which I did. Totally was- wrong. Absolutely the worst thing you can do. The best thing to do in that situation is start <laughs> chanting with him. <laughs> he's like, Heart of Stone. You're like, yes, Heart of Stone. Heart. And then he's like, what? And he's totally disarmed. And then he yeah. goes and stinks <laughs> up another car. This is why they pay you the big bucks. Exactly. That's why I am America's voice on homeless <laughs> affairs. <laughs> oh, God. Do they have well, homeless I, people I, in, in, uh, in Tiburoni or, or is it just like... Um, uh, or what? What kind of? Put it this way: What kind of racial strife have you already brought to Tiberium <laughs> yeah. in your short time there? Well, I don't. I don't think I've brought any racial strife. Um, I, I do, I do have. Well, this would be the last Tiburon story. So when <laughs> we were talking about where we were going to live, and I, at this point, you figured it out. It's Tiburon, California. Which please don't don't come looking for me. Um. My uh, my wife says to me, Camille, have you seen the demographic info for Tiburon? I was like, no, I don't care. And she says, well, one, it's like everybody's old. And I'm like, great, because that's my demographic, my target demo. Yeah. And two, she's like, well, it's like 0.9% black. Uh-oh. And, and I'm just like, okay, I mean, I don't care. And she said, would you live in a place that was the reverse of that, overwhelmingly black and say 0.9% white. Good and question. I said, all other things being equal, I don't care. Yeah. Find yeah. that place. I already, Let's I already go. hear the weasel word, but yeah. Yeah, yeah well, you <laughs> just care if they're rich people, I think. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're balling out of control. There's some older folks. It's not sort of universally that way, but certainly there are lots of people who are that way. Um, but, you know, beyond that, they're just, they're just nice folks. I will say that apparently over the summer, there was like one of those racial justice watershed moments an urgent example of just how desperately awful it is to be black in america um a local store owner and there's the danger right like tiburon is not large me telling the story here maybe it gets around and people find out and then whatever and my neighbors feel a way about it but whatever what do they sell at the store it's a clothing store uh the gentleman owns a clothing store in the area and this is back in June or July, if I remember correctly, and a local police officer spots the lights on at something like one in the morning and decides to go by. And if you watch the video, the, the lapel camera footage has been released. Again, no one dies at the end of this story, so I'll, I'll save you any concern that you may have if you're you know, gripping your chest, thinking that there's a terrible outcome here. I mean, there is a terrible outcome, but it's not the one you think. Law enforcement officer goes up to the door, says, hey... How's it going tonight? Your lights are on and you're open a little bit later than you normally would be. Are you guys just restocking? Hey guys. You guys, I've never seen you open this late. Yeah. Are you just restocking? No, we're just doing our thing. What's just up? doing your thing? What's yeah. your thing? What's up? Well, I just, I've never seen anyone in the store this Is that late. A problem? And the guy responds in an immediately hostile way. I don't need to talk to you. I'm not telling you that. He said, well, I'm just trying to figure out what 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 you're doing here i mean do you own the store is that a problem no sir there's no problem I'm just i've never seen anyone in the store this late i wanted to come check in make sure there's everything's no okay. problem going on okay yeah are you guys restocking the store there's, or? there's no problem going on 
Why are you here so late? It does not matter. It does matter. To who? To me. Why? Because the store's never open this is, late. Is this your store? No. And then what? If it's not your store, what's the problem? I'm making sure that everyone is okay There's down no here. There's no problem going on. I'm not telling you anything. The officer tries to address the two people behind this man who are in the store. Um, do one of you two own the store? No, or have any it, reason do to not talk here? to anybody else. Talk to me. You're talking to me right now. No, I'm talking to all three you're of you. Not, all you're three talking you to me, store. sir. Again, this okay? is the gentleman <laughs> in the door of the store addressing the police officer with the two people behind him. Do you have a problem with me? I have a problem with you three being in the store right is now. Is this your store? That's I'm asking you. Uh, this town is my duty to protect. This is, I fucking live here. Do not fucking tell okay. me about whatever. That's fine. Okay. Where do you live? I do not, I, I'm not going to answer the your question. The end of this is massive scandal, locally at least, picked up in a couple of local newspapers, maybe some regional papers as well, I imagine. Definitely made the local news. Uh, but also, this police officer ends up resigning because this person felt as though they were being targeted because of their race. I'm not going to tell you anything. You're going to bring your supervisor? You bring your supervisor. He's coming right now. He's right here. Okay. You he, tell him to come talk to me. He's on his way. Okay. Where's your supervisor? He's right there. Okay. Tell him to come then. Okay. Yeah. Supervisor, how are you doing? That's right. How are you? You sir? came three of you guys. What's, go what's going on? What's the problem? There's three black people in the store. What's the problem it's, with that? So it's one o'clock in the morning. There's three people in the store. There's three black people in the store. Three o'clock in the morning. No, what's the problem? There's three people. There's three the black store. people in the store. It's three o'clock in the morning. What's the problem? It's one o'clock in the morning, and yes. you never have any activity at the store at that time. Okay. Is this your store? So what's the problem with having three black people in the store? It, you keep emphasizing black people. That's not yes. What it's, yeah. You cannot tell me you don't see that. You see that. Three black people in a store. What's the problem with that? I see three people in the I store see black at people one o'clock in, in the morning. I see one o'clock in the morning. This okay. street's closed up at nine o'clock at night. There's okay. nobody here. Okay, so what's the problem? That's the problem. For me, characteristically, I suppose, certainly not obvious that that is the only explanation. And in this particular circumstance, there is a completely defensible, totally reasonable alternate explanation. The police officer was legit confused by this store being open at 1 a.m. and decided to stop by and say, hey, you guys aren't usually open this late. Person didn't like police officer up in his stuff, decided to respond in a somewhat sharp way, and it created some tension that was probably needless. I don't much like cops getting into my stuff. I don't know that I would have responded in that way. And certainly if I did, I wouldn't have notified the local news that I'd been racially profiled because it's not obvious that that's what happened. But anyways, that happened. My, my, my guess. I live close by. I mean, I haven't, I don't know anything about this case, but my assumption is from, from knowing what I know is that the cops in um, Tiberius are just bored. <laughs> I mean, my God. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't know. There's a light on. Let's do something. Otherwise, you watch I'm, the body cam footage. The cop is whistling as he walks up to the door. Is that true? Literally whistling. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, that's not true. Whistling Remus? as he walks up to the door. It's what Mayberry. Is this? <laughs> he's fucking Barney Fife. That's amazing. <laughs> it's but also everybody. Everybody likes me. Everybody says hello to me. It is. Uh, it's actually a little jarring the first couple of days when you come to some place like this and people talk to strangers again. Like, yeah. Hey, how's it going? They don't just walk by you. They're all hardly. whistling. It, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> That great song, Whistle While You Racially Profile, <laughs> <Baby> <laughs> California. 
But so like people are like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. And then random conversations. I love watching you goddamn newbies like discover California. That's really how <laughs> that's that's what happens there. It takes Europeans like ten years to live in California to like be okay with everyone saying, How you doing today? Like at the uh, supermarket. <laughs> They're like, oh, what? You, you should can't. every time they ask you that. You just say, "How the fuck you think I'm doing?" And like, just like, <laughs> they they would try to hug me. They would yeah. try to hug me. You're right. I'm so sorry for asking. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but I mean, different- it is it is of course the case that there are signs, not everywhere, but frequently that attest to the region's commitment to racial equity and the cause of Black Lives Matter. So I haven't escaped any of that. Um, it is still here. Uh, and occasionally when people figure out like who I am and what I do, they want to have conversations with me, which I suspect is a consequence of the melanin force field. I'm not retrograde, awful bad man who is obviously racist for not completely agreeing with them. I'm interesting and someone they want to have a conversation with. Which, just give it time. Fortunately, did, because of COVID, it's hard to do. Did you just drop that you're being recognized as Camille Foster <laughs> in Tuberticus? <laughs> This this happens occasionally, um, but in, in some of these instances, these are people who knew they would interact with me and at some point apparently Google me and figure out who I am. And as a result, we have a conversation about, hey, you've got a podcast. Although I did talk to a, a federal law enforcement officer the other day who Our natural says to audience, me, by the way, increasingly, yeah, which is bizarre. This is actually true. <laughs> Who says to me, you've got a podcast, don't you? And the way he said it, and he might be listening now, I could tell Yeah, he heard the podcast. Yeah, I hear you've got a podcast. I hear great things. Yeah. Just say you love it. Just say you Just love say it. You love Just it. say you gang gang. Was he, was he, was he a <laughs> cop in uh, Titanicus or was he uh, just <laughs> no, a random? No. Feder- federal law enforcement officer. This is a, a, a weird other circumstance where I was having a conversation oh, with one of these people. I won't ask about you being racially profiled. <laughs> you you want to hear that story? Yeah. Anna. My wife suggests I was being racially profiled. Were you? Well, I mean, I had to take my daughter to the nurse to the um, <laughs> I took my daughter to a local doctor because there, she needed to get checked up or something. And because of all the COVID protocols, it's one parent can accompany the child inside mm. rather than just sitting in my car and waiting. I'm standing up outside waiting. And I'm standing in front of my car and it's getting late and I've just been standing there for maybe 20, 30 minutes and I'm in front of my car and I'm forgetting what kind of car is beside me. It's like a, maybe a newish, um, no, it's a newer like Range Rover or something like that. So it's the Range Rover is my little X3 beside it. Wait, you drove just out standing there? there in front of these cars. Oh yeah. My car brought over. I didn't drive over here. Oh, okay. It's no. someone. Someone transported the car, and I found a lady, solo lady, who drove my dog cross country wow. by herself. That's yeah. black privilege. The that cost, is... the cost for this service, yeah, seven hundred ninety dollars. What? I don't understand it. I this, don't. Understand I literally the spent model. more money having some weird dude put fucking mouse traps in the crawl space. It was eight hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> this was the this was the secret uh, shifter way of getting cross country for a really long time. Our friend Tim Blair, Tim Blair, the uh, great Aussie uh, Murdoch paper journalist, um, has driven across country, including with our friend uh, Dave Burge, Iowa Hawk, uh, several times. By there's always a Camille Foster somewhere. 
who yeah. wants to drive either his crappy Cadillac or his crappy dog across country. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you're, you will get money. You just have to deliver within 10 days and you can be as filthy and awful as possible yeah. in 10 days. It's great. Go on though. A short version of this story is I'm standing in front of my car and this other car and a guy in scrubs comes out of his building and I don't know which one it was initially, but he kind of blows past me rather quickly. And it looked like he was going to go into this restaurant, but essentially he just walks by me and then he comes back by and he stops and says to me, admiring the car. And I just like, look at him confused. I say, excuse me. And he just kind of gestures at the vehicle. And I said, well, no, this is my car, which is parked right next to yours. I'm waiting on my, my wife and kid to come out of the doctor here. And he says, oh. And then we immediately sort of launch into a conversation. But the conversation is mostly him sort of awkwardly asking me questions <laughs> about myself. Like he notices my hat says Los Angeles winners. And he's like, Laker fan. And I said, no, I've got like a dozen of these hats. They all say different places, but they always say winners because it's the only thing I do is fucking win. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, this is far more awkward for this gentleman than it is for me. But eventually he just kind of walks away. You know, he, he, of course, inquired about my daughter's well-being. And I told him she's fine. Just needed to come get like eczema cream or something like that. And eventually he just walks away because he realizes that his car is safe and fine and that I'm not standing in front of his car, sort of casing the joint, waiting for an opportunity to smash the window and climb inside. And I don't know what else people do when they do shit like that. But I tell Tracy about this later and she says, Camille, you just got racially profiled. I don't know about that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, She's right. I mean, I mean, may maybe I mean, it's, a, it's a Range Rover. But but here's the other thing. If you saw a guy in San Francisco or thereabouts, like standing outside of your car for 30, 40 minutes, and you're just kind of standing there. Do you go out and investigate? Well, do you look into it? No, because- Do you wonder, once it's starting to get dark, if I don't know, this like, person is Matt, pre perhaps preparing to do something? Sure. But Matt tells us that we don't, as East Coast people, don't really understand California. So maybe this is something I don't understand about California. Are your car thieves like really shitty and like calm and slow and take 45 minutes to case a car before they smash the window and rob it? I was because <laughs> that's like, first of all, like I'm not, if I was going to rob your car, you wouldn't even see me. It'd just be gone. Number one. Number two, those cars are really hard to steal, right? I mean, it's like, what, you can't, you don't hotwire cars like they used to. And, and number but three, that's not what they do in San Francisco. They don't steal the cars. They just rummage through like the glove box for change and take all kinds of other things and then just leave your car windows smashed. And that's it. Oh, in I fact, guess. It's, it's yeah. an epidemic in San Francisco. It's a matter. And, and this is barely really an exaggeration. It's a matter of where, when, not if this will happen to your car if you park on the street in San Francisco. Now, again, Mill Valley, Tiburon, different, but that's a thing. I think black dude hanging outside parking lot. Uh, yeah, I think he racially profiled you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think that's probably what happened. Yeah. Um, it's also, and again, but, if, if it was like, if, if you were looking at like a 1963 Porsche or something, you know, I'd be like, yeah, okay. He's asking if I'm admiring the car because it's such a rare yeah, car. Who admires a Range Rover? No one admires a Range Rover. The only Fuck thing you do with a Range Rover is like, what yeah. douche is driving this car? 
It's like, the official car. It's the official car of Tiburon. Actually. It's the official it's car of where I live too, and it's like yeah, and the and the G wagon. It's, it's, the, it's so, the tie between the two. Exactly. It's the G wagon. It's the uh, Tesla, and it's the Range Rover. Those oh three. yeah. Oh, and then and the then Teslas the in the Porsche everywhere. SUV. What's that called? The Cayenne or something? The, yeah, yeah. The, the Porsche. Porsche SUV. That's the other one. So, yeah, yeah. So my, Anyways, my uh, duster. Maybe, maybe I was racially profiled, but I, I'll tell you what, I don't know for sure. And it was far more embarrassing for the guy who came out to talk to me than it was earth shattering for me. Like my self-consciousness has not like gone up through the roof. I don't feel as though I'm being watched and spied upon every place. This is a, a warm and welcoming community and I enjoy it. Immensely. So, so Camille, I'm gonna and do. I've got no complaints. I'm gonna do what I did to Matt when when he said, uh, "Well, we got somebody won a prize." Uh, <laughs> what I did to Matt when he, when I said how you should handle the man in the subway um, yelling in your face. This is how you should handle that shit. Just to fuck with the guy <laughs> because you have the power, you mm-hmm. have the force field. The second he says admiring the car, zoink, take out your cell phone and start recording, and be like, "Why are you asking?" Cell phone oh. recording his face <laughs> and watch him piss his OR scrubs. You ever seen a grown man piss in his scrubs? Because you would see it right then. And he'd be like, no, no, I'm just, no, 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 no. no oh, someone doing. God. And he'd be like, you have a cell phone? <laughs> you'd be like, it's my you know, Obama the phone. Thing, That's- <laughs> the thing is, like, <laughs> it just, it didn't come to me quickly enough because I don't presume the worst about people and their motives. Um, but but we should talk about some of the other things that are happening in the world. As much as I just want to kind of catch up with you guys and tell you things, like there's there's real shit happening. This, this is the week like people are getting shot up with the vaccine. Yeah, for COVID, like are it you, is happening right now. Are you first um, in and line? And I've been informed like... by the honorable minister Elijah Muhammad. Yeah, I think that's his name, right? Um, yes. No, the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan. Yes, Elijah the Muhammad, singer, yeah. the other guy. Yeah. yeah, so I've been informed by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan that the COVID vaccine is a plot by the white devils to eradicate the black man. So I'm not taking that shit. No, you guys aren't. Um, I think <laughs> also heard him call attention to the fact that some congressman wants to pay people money to take these vaccines. Obviously, that means it's a, a racist plot. Um, but beyond that, there's plenty of other stuff going on. I guess AOC is upset with uh, Pelosi and Schumer. Um, the president of the United States is rumored to be telling some of the people who work for him that he's not going to leave in January when the time comes. God, I Although hope that's true. all other I, so evidence seems to suggest that he's totally willing to go. Um, and a bunch of other stuff that we could chat about, including more pandemic scaremongering um, in the pages of the Washington Post this time, who are suggesting that you should not ignore the travel restrictions even if you've already had the coronavirus specifically writing that if you have the current if you had the coronavirus and have antibodies you're not totally safe and then goes on to explain that you know there have been very very rare occasions where people have been reinfected but it's like just you know like getting hit by lightning at this point and uh it's but despite that uh you still shouldn't do it and why? What was the an- analogy, Camille? It was something about like seatbelts or something? Maybe- oh, yeah. The, the analogy was to, to driving in general. Um, so the quote is, it's not a once in a blue moon kind of thing. It's kind of like car crashes are still rare. 
but when they do happen, it's really bad. 99.9% .9 of the time when you get in the car, you're not going to get in a car accident, but you still buckle your seatbelt. Of course, that analogy is all fucked up sense. because the analogy here is don't ever leave your house. Yes. Don't ever drive. Yes. The analogy <laughs> Which, there is like literally sell your car on Craigslist. Like <laughs> we got these seatbelts that we put around our face every day as we go outside. We have face belts. Yeah. This, this is the seatbelt isn't good enough. Like I, I, this, it really is alarming to see that sort of thing get published um, because it is so over the top and so out of line with what journalists ought to be doing. Like the challenge for journalists and for public health officials and for politicians is to give people sensible, well-informed, perhaps even actionable information about the, the risks that they face as they go about their lives in the age of COVID. What is the best available information? Like what do we need to know so that we can make thoughtful well-informed decisions and take reasonable risks while living our lives as opposed to stop everything don't do anything because as we've seen over the course of the past couple of months like there's this dense catalog of stories about all of the exhaustion that people are feeling and yeah. the growing resentment and defiance inspired by all of these stupid covid restrictions which this week in new york as you guys may have seen there were the protests People associated with restaurants were demonstrating because they've been told that they effectively can't operate their businesses anymore on both coasts and in other parts of America. And um, here in California, there's even been talk of a recall election for uh, Gavin Newsom, likely related to the fact that he's perceived as a, uh, a COVID hypocrite. Good. But certainly not narrowly because of that. I mean, I wish that the recall mechanism, which I participated in with uh, Gray Davis, Singapore Gray Davis back in 2003, I believe it was, with Relish. If we had that, I mean, it's like basically the people, not the legislature, gets to do impeachment. It's great. Like mm. Of all the votes that I feel really, really happy about, there are almost none. Like, you know, I vote for people who I'd rather, on balance, see, be whatever uh, uh, position uh, they might be, but like they're going to lose. Um but like voting against Gray Davis because he was a shitbag was so, so rewarding and pleasant. And it'd be great to do that with, with Gavin Newsom. The, uh, the sense of, of dislocation, I was just writing about this today in terms of, of schools, not just in New York, but throughout the entire country. There was a piece a day or two ago in the New York Times talking about, uh, and this kind of like resonates with the, oh yeah, even if you've had the, and the the virus, you know, um, you shouldn't travel. There's a sense of like, like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Mm -hmm. We've got vaccines, many yeah. of them. We've got at home tests, which have been blocked every step of the way, in a, to such a degree that really, really uh, should infuriate everybody um, because you need a prescription which you shouldn't need um, to have an at home test, blah, whatever. But like we can see it. We have mm -hmm. a lot of even today. This we're recording this on a Thursday. I think Moderna got its initial like thumbs up with uh, the FDA. Again, should have happened before. Um, we can see that. And so the chattering class, an, a section of it is, it's as if they're disappointed by the news. Or it's as if they're worried that people are going to react to this news in a way that unclenches 
this great and terrible soul and life damaging and economy damaging clench that we've had for the last eight months. And that's so weird to me. It's like, it's so weird, but we should not want to live this way. No, we should not. And anybody who sees this stuff and particularly sees these things where people say, well, you know, it's vanishingly rare and basically hasn't happened. We've seen it in a few sort of examples that we can't even make, you know, a chart of because it's like Mm 0.0001%. Um, we know that, but what we don't want you to do is to become too brazen about this, even if you've had it, because you'll set the wrong example. If you see that, you realize that the CDC and the Washington Post is assuming you're dumb. They're calling you dumb. <laughs> That's what they're doing to you. And what ends up happening is that if you trick people, right, they'll be, it'll be so scared that they'll stay in their houses and this whole thing will go away where the fucking opposite is true, right? You lie to people about this stuff and you say, this is what's going to happen. They start becoming lunatics. They start going the other direction. They start saying, you know, it's all a sham. It's all a fraud. It absolutely isn't, of course. And people start believing this stuff. The the reason that people suspect that by fear-mongering that people are going to, you know, get in line behind them is that not only are they stupid, they're really stupid and credulous. And they'll do whatever we tell them. And that just proven over and over again that they go the opposite direction. And I'll go back Hmm. to a thing that I've mentioned here once or twice is that the CDC came out with a guidance in 2006 or so about what to do during a pandemic because there's always going to be a new one. And by far, the thing they, they kept underlining, like the most important thing is that the messaging from public officials should be honest. You should tell them what you actually know and what you don't know, um, and you shouldn't try to scaremonger mm. about things in a way to try to shape behavior, uh, because if people perceive you as being an untrustworthy source and like trying to manipulate things, they're going to tune you out. That mm. is the single worst thing that you can do. And when I first started talking about this and writing about this, it was usually in the service of you know, Donald Trump is saying some crazy shit about like injecting bleach or whatever the hell he was saying, um, or just that like we're gonna lick this in 15 days. He, you know, he he said many weird things in many different directions every single day back when he was doing the daily press conference. But um, it's equally, if not more, applicable to the people who actually have effect on human lives during this process, which is not the president of the United States. Yeah. It is mayors and governors and, 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 and other people on the local level who are equally, uh, if not more, uh, kind of anti-science while, you know, clothing themselves in the mantle of science. And the hypocritical actions um, that they have, have taken, the, you know, going to the French laundry and whatnot, um, Underlight, like you could see that, that you can even see their own thought processes working. Like we need to tell people that they can't send their kids to the playgrounds, even though we know there is no surface transmission of this virus. We just need to like make a symbolic statement because only then will we sort of overcorrect for what we perceive to be their behavior. It's like, no, dude, you've just squandered your credibility. Look, and I've talked about this a whole bunch and gotten some great mails about this too. By the way, people keep sending me. Um, studies and the the kind of odd media report, because there's not a ton of them, 
on how this virus is transmitted from the very beginning. I'm saying like, this is the thing that people know, need to know more than anything is that, you know, there probably are people still wiping down their groceries, which ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you don't need to do if you're still doing it. Stop, please. And you know, that, you know, everywhere, every shop you'd go into, somebody would squirt, uh, Sam hand sanitizer into your eyes or into your face or into your hands. And that, it, why people aren't doing that anymore, by the way, is totally fascinating to me because I used to, everybody was hand sanitizing all the time. Everybody who was going outside had gloves on, like, like, you know, medical gloves on. I saw that everywhere you'd buy the grocery store had stacks of these gloves. The first few times I took a subway to where we're at right now, yeah. Nancy Rahman's house, I wore gloves. Yes. Yes. Was and it, was, it, was, it. it was reasonable at the time, but no one came out and said, this is not how it's transmitted. It wasn't, you know, there's no Cuomo thing. There's no, you know, mandate mm-hmm. from the government. But people just stop doing it because mm-hmm. they kind of get it on their own. Well, so, some, peop- some people. Some people. <laughs> that's true. It. Some people. <laughs> but, you know, Cuomo, um, who, it, it, the, the great thing about this, and I sent you guys uh, both this uh, piece, and I was hoping that you would read it from Vanity Fair from 2015. It was excerpted from a Vanity Fair journalist book about uh, Andrew Cuomo called The Contender. And the premise of the book is basically, because I was flipping through it, is basically that um, he's going to try to run for president someday. And, you know, who knows? I mean, that, that could still happen. But uh, it was a piece. I mean, the great thing about this pandemic, the one great thing about this is that it, it got me to pay attention to how shitty our governor is. I've been paying attention to how shitty our <laughs> mayor is for so long, yeah. right? And I knew the horrible stuff that Andrew Cuomo had done in the past. Um, there's a great piece, actually, from about 2010 that uh, our uh, friend and former guest in the show, Michael Barbaro, who hosts The Daily and The New York Times, wrote about his, uh, shall we say, contentious relationship with the gay community. Um, and it widely being attributed to him, the flyer, when his father ran against mm-hmm. Ed Koch, vote for Cuomo, not, not the, the homo. homo. And of course, Ed Koch was a confirmed bachelor and likely gay, uh, but never talked about it. And um, it never admitted to it, et cetera. It was Bess Meyerson. He was dating Bess Meyerson, supposedly the, the um, slippery-fingered uh, former Miss America who had been caught stealing a bunch of times uh, after their quote-unquote relationship. But if you read this piece from 2015 in Vanity Fair, just Google it, Cuomo, it's about his divorce from Kathleen Kennedy, one of RFK's 11 children. I don't know if you remember that Bobby Kennedy had 11 kids. Did he die like at age 12? He did. He died at 14. And uh, he had 11. He's Catholic and it's Irish. So they just, it just happens. (laughs) They just walk by each other. It's like, you know, scanning a QR code and a baby falls out. They, they, this thing is about their divorce and it is brutal. It is a brutal, brutal attack pretty much. And I think the book from what I've seen is sort sort of fair, but about how desperate and how pathetic this guy is Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, of getting in the good graces of the Kennedy family. And he marries a Kennedy. And him showing up every time there's cameras and everybody in the Kennedy family noticing it. And it's, and they actually have Bobby, one of Bobby Kennedy's kids on record, not even on background, just his name out there saying, yeah, 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 no, he's, he's horrible. <laughs> and you read this and you read this. I went back to the Michael Barrow piece. And then I watched these performative bullshit press conferences, which he won an Emmy, which is good because he's acting. I mean, he should win an Emmy for these bullshit press conferences in which he's like, I saw one, came across one the other day from June of him, like 
like doing his like Italian thing. You know, when he's like, you know, I'm sure when he's at Hyannisport, he's, he's doing the Brahmin thing. But here he's doing his Goomba Italian thing. He's like, this is how you wear a fucking mask, okay? You put, this is not how you wear a mask. And he's got it like on his chin. He's like, nah, that's not a mask. And it's like, do you know that people often do that when they're not around people? Like when you come out of a store, you take the mask down and you put it as the chin diaper. Yeah. As the South Park guys say. And that's not, that doesn't mean that they're wearing the mask like that inside. And it's all this performative nonsense. He's like, I'm the man who knows everything. And by the way, we have the highest death toll of any. <laughs> still. Yeah, still. Any city in the nation. Now, granted, to be fair to him, early in the pandemic, we, there was not a lot of knowledge of what was going on. Respirators good, mm-hmm. respirators bad, et cetera. New but York still. is a, a hub of humans colliding with yes. one another. Yes, and he, yes. he should be totally. forgiven that. But at the same time, you also shouldn't be getting Emmys and writing books about how brilliant you handled your own crisis. Hey, uh, Camille, question for you. You've been out there for a couple of weeks now. Do you notice a like a palpable environmental difference in the way that people are treating um, the pandemic and like the interactions and the potential lethality and like just how it the way that people approach dining and meeting and talking and shaking hands or doing the the elbow thing because I I went to um, Southern California three times in the fall. And I was was really startled by the difference in it. And it wasn't just necessarily my peer group uh, or friend group. It was like, you know, family, a bunch of people from different uh, aspects. Um, have you interacted with enough people or, or, or seen enough to to develop a judgment about whether there's a difference in basic approach towards those things? Mm, I I don't know, um, yeah. and it and it's hard to judge because as as you may know, I suspect you know, San Francisco and most of the Bay Area effectively went into another lockdown within days of my arrival. Double secret lockdown. Yeah, they they shuttered pretty much everything, including outdoor dining out here in San Francisco as well. Outdoor dining in San Francisco. Let's be clear about in the Bay Area. For those who haven't yeah. uh, ever been to the Bay Area. Uh, if you look on a map, there's this really big um, bay. It's super big, like a lot of stuff. So everyone is sort of gathered on the side. And so like often happens with like seawater, um, there's a lot of breeze. And it's also California. <laughs> so there isn't snow. Um, and so when you're outside, you're in the breeze and there isn't snow. and the chances of you getting coronavirus from sitting outside and eating a fucking taco are zero. Are are fucking zero. It's not. There isn't yeah. a chance. There's a lot of things you might get in that scenario. Yes, coronavirus is not one of them. You can get ambient AIDS. Yeah. You're COVID not going to get coronavirus. Yeah. You yeah. get taco chlamydia. It, this is this <laughs> is something that was supposed to be triggered. This is something that was supposed to be triggered by the the level of like bed capacity in ICUs. And it, as it turns out, much of the area wasn't actually facing a situation where they had passed the threshold and were thus required to shut down. They effectively voluntarily decided to do this ahead of the, the numbers getting too high, both preemptively and in solidarity with other parts of the state that already had numbers that were too high. In one sense, it could be laudable 
if you were making a decision for yourself and that only impacted you. Yeah. But in reality, they're making a decision for the entire region that affects all sorts of businesses. And in a number of instances, you know, that, that local shop that was just barely scraping by based on the receipts from outdoor dining and delivery and, you know, the handful of people who are, they were able to keep on staff in terms of their wait staff, they've got to decide. And it's already the case that this is happening here, whether or not they'll stay open during the winter. Maybe they just close because they can't afford to keep the lights on just on the strength of delivery. Uh, but no, I, I can't say to the question that you asked um, earlier, Matt, I can't say that I have noticed a, a real sort of material difference in how people are treating the, the, the pandemic. I mean, there are still shops that are open. All kinds of retail shops are effectively deemed essential services um, as well as preschools, which is great for me. And people are still going out and they're masked generally. But I mean, they're in relatively close proximity indoors. So I don't know. I, can't call I, I don't I don't see anyone in New York without a mask on. Nobody. I just don't see it. I mean, you know, sometimes when there are a couple of people and you assume they're friends or family walking together without a mask on, I don't suspect they usually have one, you know, draped around their neck and they'd go into a store that way. But, it, it, you know, it's it's really interesting that New Yorkers are pretty interesting. I'm I'm had this uh, smoking this vape thing here that is uh, a mint flavor, which is, of course, banned. Uh, you can still get menthol cigarettes and kill yourself with those, and but you can't get these. Um, but I just go to my guy who has them all. And, you know, it's a couple of dollars more, but he's got them all. And who cares where he gets them? He's an immigrant who's working his ass off, and uh, I like to support him. Uh, the amazing thing is, like, in, with the dining and the, the drinking, I, I literally saw three restaurants, three, in my walk between subways. Uh, I walked to, you know, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 blocks that had outdoor seating that was totally indoors. Because it was totally <laughs> shut off. It was like they had little these pods and it was closed off. And they had like a door on the front. And it was just like, oh, so it's a little uh, sukkah shed yeah. <laughs> on the sidewalk that's adjacent to your restaurant, but closed. It's like literally closed off. And so if the theory of, of COVID transmission, tra transmission inside restaurants holds true here, too. I don't know why. I mean, they're very inventive about these things. I mean, there's ways of getting around everything. And who is going to save these businesses? Because, I mean, everyone knows the failure rate of New York restaurants prior to the pandemic. Prior. It's yeah. like, what is it? Like 75% of them don't last more than a year yeah, or two years or whatever. It's absolutely yeah. it's, brutal. It's brutal for everyone. And like, what is the city going to be without restaurants? Like, and it's an amazing thing. I was coming, I had some errands to run. And as I said, I was in Chelsea and it was earlier and I decided to go later than I was, you know, initially going to go because I'm going to come down here at eight o'clock or something like that. And if I'm done at 530, typically I would go to the Strand, buy a book and then go to one particular coffee shop on Waverly, Joe's Coffee and sit there and read and then come down here. Right. The city is full of people just wasting time. Right. Going mm. places, going to restaurants, going to bars. Being outside a, their tiny apartments. Yeah, being outside their tiny apartments. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you are captive and you go to a bar by yourself sometimes and drink at the end of the bar and, you know, read shit on your phone or drink, you know, have something at a coffee shop. Now it's like, what am I doing here? Like, I, I have, unless I'm going to a store in these narrow hours, you know, swaddled in a mask, which I don't mind at all. I don't care about that. Um, 
I don't, there's nothing to do. And, and, yeah. and I thought we were going in such a great direction. And then I see, you know, a couple of days ago, I guess two days ago, 5,500, and clearly much higher than this now, um, healthcare workers had already gotten the vaccine. And I was like, that is fucking great. This is amazing. We're going in the right direction. And right now, everything else is, is going in a, in a very different direction. Obviously, it's going to take quite a while for people to, to catch up with the vaccine. But I'm just, you know, the joke was like, oh, you know, New York City never dies. It's not going to die. It's like, no, no, no. The infrastructure's here. The people are here. The city is here. But you are watching it have a heart attack every day. You're watching it be crippled mm. every day. And to, and to say just because New York is what it is, the engine of New York is what it is, and it's not going to go out of commission for too long. No, it won't. Absolutely not. But right now, it's going to be, you know, Berlin came back in 1946 and 47, 48, but it was flattened. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're flattening the city. And I'm not saying that I have some solution as to how this should work. But if what I hear is correct, and I'm not sure that it is, that the transmission rates inside restaurants is not something to be hugely concerned about. That's the not- contact tracing rates, as our host Nancy Rollman has written about, um, are is at like 1.3% is... That's what I being, saw, yeah. Or yeah. three is being transmitted in, uh, in restaurants. Granted, there's the caveat of how good is the contact tracing science? Like, <laughs> not they, very. Not very, because people don't want to be contact traced. I heard you say contact tracing science. I mean, in this particular case, it's just the contact tracing policy and implementation, which it may be better in other places, but here it's not terribly good for well, reasons I'm sure you could articulate. It was supposed to save us all, wasn't it? I mean, it's also that Americans are a little bit prickly about having every bit of their uh, lives open to government scrutiny. And I think that's a normal prickliness. I, I think that the home testing, if I'm not mistaken, the home testing kits that the FDA has been absolutely a foot dragging uh, on for a long time. One of the reasons why they make this a prescription thing, even though there's no otherwise reason to do it, is they want you to plug into contract tracing um uh, systems within uh, that governments uh, 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 organize. So they want to be able to have a national database. And if they just made it over the counter um, and didn't have a bunch of rules attached to it, they wouldn't have that. And so it wouldn't be a, a more um, actionable data set. However, that's thinking about the problem wrong. I mean, the the problem from the beginning one of the two or three main problems has been that we don't test enough. My brother who just got coronavirus, my surviving brother, the other one died this year, um, is a healthcare worker. He's in a hospital every day. Um, just, uh, got, uh, and he's, you know, mildly sick. That's why he tested. So hopefully he's fine. Um, uh, that was his first test. My God, between, between the three of us here, how many tests have we had? 20? Wow. Yeah, I've had five, I've had seven or I've had five, seven or so. Yeah, maybe more. Nancy's five. had seven or eight over there in the corner. Uh, Camille, you've had a few. My brother, who works in a hospital, that was his first. Um, his wife, who works in a pediatric ward of a hospital, um, is having her first as a result a result of this. Um, and this is I I thought like and. and 
I don't want to make it seem like I'm ratting them or California out. Um, in fact, our our, our friend, um, well, I won't mention his name because uh, he didn't consent to this, but like a mutual friend who has worked both for Reason and for Camille, um, uh, his wife works in the healthcare industry. They're not getting tested either. It's like the uh, New York uh, sped up the availability of tests. It's one of the good things that New York did. And it's one of the things that was obvious from the beginning. If we had way more testing, we'd be able to know what the hell's going on. Like when you see these kind of curves in graphs, unless the curves are of deaths, um, they are misleading by definition from like March and April, June through now, because we weren't testing mm -hmm. people before. And testing allows you to to like adjust and moderate your behavior. Um, and it's just knowledge. Um, so, yeah, um, the 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 yen for contact tracing uh, is such that it has caused the FDA to block what should be stuff that we should be able to get for 20 bucks a pop at Rite Aid and should have been able to get it since May and haven't because of that reason, because they wanted to be able to have a database that they could track mm -hmm. and take action on. And please note, I'm not saying this in any kind of conspiratorial way. I'm saying this actually is an anti-bureaucratic way, right? If there, was an, mm -hmm. if there was a real Operation Warp Speed, and I'm not saying that the thing that exists isn't real and important, it is, and it was, and continues to be, and, I, and I'm thankful for it. But, like, if there was a full mobilization, like, we need to make things happen fast in this pandemic, part of that would be we need to make tests just happen faster. That has right. not right. happened at all um, in that process, yes. But even with the limited data, we have known that this isn't being spread in restaurants, but there was a phone call, you know, two, three weeks ago with, um, I think, uh, 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 Dr. Fauci was part of it, um, where basically people went from concentrating on community spread, right? Was the global testing rate in New York City of people was the positive rate for that. And let's make huge decisions based on that, including opening or not opening schools. Let's go and shift from there to the ICU bed capacity, which is a super different number. And granted, there, there's an argument for, like, that's the thing we have to worry about if we're overrun, like we were in, in March in certain locales. Um, but the, um, the logic that tumbles forth from that is so wildly different than what it was even two or three weeks before. And the public communications around that are such that it's just trying to scare people into behavior rather than being tethered to the science of transmission. And the science of transmission mm -hmm. is, from what we know, you're not getting it in restaurants. And from what we absolutely know, without question, you're not getting it in elementary schools. And they're still closed all over the country for the most part with like a few rare exceptions. And New York is barely an exception, if that. I'm I'm thinking about a, a couple of different things, but but one thing that just comes to mind is I mean, we're we're about a week removed from Christmas Eve now, um, and ordinarily it's festive occasion, lots of people are getting together with their families. This year, if people find out you're getting together with your families, they are potentially going to shame you and tell you how terrible you are. Um, I I have a friend who has two parents who are still living, both of whom are quite old. And it is entirely possible that this is their last Christmas. Like this is it. And 
it it strikes me that when people think about the various ways in which public officials have sort of failed in their response to COVID, it's easy to point at things like the rate of death and to to talk about the body count all the time. But the various ways in which like the current regime for restricting activity is disrupting people's lives in material ways um, and potentially not making them a great deal safer, like relative to things that they could do, like widespread availability of at-home testing, which the only reason you're limiting that testing is so that you can have perhaps better data created um, and have uh, prescriptions requiring people to requiring people to get prescriptions before they can get this at home testing might sort of streamline things for data collection purposes, but it definitely makes it harder for people to get these tests, which makes it harder for them to do things like take reasonable, manageable risks when getting together with select members of their family over the course of the next week or two, because it's not one of those things where everyone can voluntarily say, you know what, this Christmas, I'm just going to stay home. Like that, that's pretty consequential for some people in some circumstances. And the isolation is probably crushing for lots of people. And the dark, horrible, miserable year that plenty of Americans have had their small businesses being crushed. Like this might be a time when they kind of need one another. And the inability to access some of that normalcy um, is is something that we we don't talk enough about and haven't been sort of compassionate enough about. I think when we're when we're seeing like coverage of it um, in the press, at least now it seems there's a little less vitriol directed at people who go out into the streets to demonstrate because they're concerned about the impact of these these laws um, because things have become a little less politicized with the. Uh, uh, looming exit of Donald Trump from the from the political scene, which interestingly, if you open up any newspaper or just look at the front front page of any newspaper over the course of the last couple of weeks, it, it seems to me that Donald Trump is not featuring prominently in he most doesn't, of he the doesn't stories. exist. It's been astonishing, like to see the shift in media coverage. I guess we're pivoting a little bit here um, as Donald Trump just is getting eclipsed. Um, and he's still the president. He's the lamest of lame ducks, largely because he seemingly has kind of taken himself out of circulation, except to talk about how unfair all of this is to him and how um, much he's been cheated. Um, but he's he's not home anymore. And journalists and media organizations find themselves, especially cable news outfits, has been as has been uh, reported in The New York Times recently, find themselves wondering what their future looks like. Folks like MSNBC, who had seen a very uh, clear correlation between their ratings and the de- the degree and volume of negative Trump oriented coverage that they're able to that they're able to serve up. Um, CNN has probably seen uh, a, a similar trend who's beaten Fox in primetime more frequently than they ever have at any other point in their existence. Like figuring out how to go forward from here um, is going to be a very daunting challenge for them. I mean, it's pretty uh, I, amazing, isn't it? That where, where, um, you know, first on the COVID thing, quickly just to say that, you know, an obvious point, but it, it's frustrating when you do see that vitriol. And I don't have the. I mean, look, to, to say that you're worried about restaurant owners, 
And to say that you're worried about the isolation of kids and the isolation of other people too, and the economy in general, you don't have to have a solution to make those, to make, to, 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 to sort of comment on that, right? And it's right. presumed that you have to have, so well, what's your solution? Well, no, I'm just pointing this out. And I also want to point out that the people that are most vitriolic about this all have jobs and they're all on Twitter and they all have jobs in media and they have no sense of what this is like beyond maybe one or two phone calls they make or a couple of re- reporting a, trips. It's a cruel uh, uh, term that uh, our friend Carol Markowitz has made in the New York Post. It, she refers to those people who make those disparaging comments as the pajama class. Like, you can hmm. still work in your pajamas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah, it's true. There's a bunch of people in this city who cannot work in their pajamas. Yeah. They're, that's not how they're... No, and, 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 and you know, it's, it's also funny, that vitriol and a, and a good uh, pivot there, Camille, to uh, the disappearance of Donald Trump. Uh, well, hopefully, I mean, who knows if he's going to just camp and chain himself to the wall of the basement. Kind of wild. Like, maybe, maybe, he'll do like, maybe he'll do like a Laura Loomer and like, uh, you know, <laughs> chain himself to the front door and be like, no! Um, but uh, it's funny because you could make a compilation video from any of these networks of people on them talking about or, you know, saying this kind of uh, magic phrase of how divided we are right now, the rhetoric and how divided we are right now. And above them in the offices of, you know, the CEO, the CFO, the programming people, they're saying, shit, the guy that's super divisive is going away. And what are we going to do? How are we going to make money? I mean, <laughs> it is their business model that they pretend to hate. And that, like, well, you could be, I don't know, the CBC. You could just have a news network in which you have people debating issues, but it mm-hmm. isn't someone, you know, staring down the barrel of the camera with their veins popping and doing, you know, like Keith Olbermann was the best at this because he was so comic and he didn't realize it. I mean, the guy is like deranged. And he would, in, you know, remember he used to end every sentence with sir? Yeah. Because he was talking to like somebody <laughs> in the Bush administration. He was like, you sir. And like, you know, spittle-flecked moron <laughs> screaming at this. Like, that's the thing, right? And they all do it. It doesn't matter which side you're on. They're always staring down the barrel of the camera telling you that everything in your life is at risk because of somebody in D.C. doing something stupid. And, you know, whether it's Rachel Maddow talking about how Vladimir Putin's, you know, probably, you know, reading your text messages to, you know, Tucker apparently tonight is is casting doubt on the virus. I don't know uh, the vaccine. Vaccine. I don't know uh, what that means. I'll have to watch. I don't trust anyone's. Twitter accounts of these mm-hmm. things, but yeah. you know, um, everyone you know is doing that divisive thing from Tucker and Hannity to Maddow and you know uh, what's his name? What's the 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 this, uh, uh, John Lennon? Uh, Don Lemon, that guy, yeah. The, uh, and and, and uh, the dumb mayor's even dumber brother, Cuomo. yeah, who's probably emerging <laughs> from some basement somewhere. I mean, triumphant. It should, <laughs> it should tell us something pretty obvious that. Every presidential election creates uh, some version of that news story, that news analysis of like, oh, my God, yeah. what are these news organizations going to do now? Yes, that's right. That's right. That the team has changed in the Oval Office. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that is um, c- 
contingent on your business model. Let's stop pretending what your business model that's is exactly all about. Right. Yeah, that's it exactly is, right. It is yeah. not yeah. about like some kind of neutral or even you're like informing people. You're terrifying them. Yeah, <laughs> that's your goal. <laughs> no, I mean, I remember talking to a book publisher who we all know. I won't use his name now, although we wouldn't mind. Um, but at one point in 2016, when I was all hot and bothered about the history of Hillary Clinton's long and storied crackdown on free speech, I was kind of musing out loud whether that could be a book. And it shouldn't have been. Uh, it was a, a good article. Go read it. Um, but like, it's, it's amazing how the, her crackdown on free speech, like the things that we assume Tipper Gore was responsible for, yeah. for the most part, uh, Hillary Clinton no. acted on and then advanced and tried to, and the Supreme court had to rebuff her like four to five. I was like, I'm about to do the Johnny Carson. I did not know that. I did not I, know that. <laughs> I will have to go. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, but one of his comments about it was, um, in order to get someone excited about a book about X, um, from his point of view, and he's someone who's who published a lot of um, kind of partisan um, uh, related books or books about politics, it's like, how can the subject that you were talking about endanger me, right? How, how can it like physically, viscerally threaten me? And that's where you get sales. And the, and the big, uh, I think the comment was, you could take all the books that analyze the media or that are mm -hmm. acts of media criticism over the last 20 years, you could put them in a giant stack. And then next to it, you could put uh, Jonah Goldberg's liberal fascism, which regardless of its quality uh, as a book, and I think it's actually kind of an interesting book. Um, I reviewed it for reason. And, uh, and I think Jonah, in the process of writing that book, became a much more interesting figure than he was before. And that has continued to hmm. this day. Um, which is interesting, it, like the process of like going through and working through the history and and getting through the thoughts has been, uh, I, I think, the most profoundly, a more profoundly moving in, uh, thing on his career than even the the rise of Donald Trump. Um, but it's like liberal fascism was like the liberals are fascists; they're coming to get me. Mm -hmm. Like you could get it in a second. Like the the you know the initial book cover was like some kind of whole foods hitler mustache type there's a smiley face uh yellow smiley, smiley face, face that's walmart thing. not yeah, whole yeah. foods right yeah. um but like but also uh it had referenced uh whole foods in a in a, in a preliminary thing oh really yeah I did. Oh, I didn't know from that. whole yeah. foods to there was oh a, it was the subtitle yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yeah but like his yeah. point was basically like you can sell political journalism if uh especially if it can be seen mm. to uniquely threaten the the existence or like validate people's sense of threat of the existence of of some discrete group, and so I was like, okay, cool. I'm not at all interested in that because I'm interested in journalism, mm -hmm. not in like fluffing up people's uh, sense of self respect or like fluffing up their fears in in some way. But that's actually how. Uh, political journalism, for the most part, gets consumed, and we should not be like shy about acknowledging that. And especially when, as we're going to be seeing over the next weeks and months, um, there's going to be a lot of really uh, insufferable journalism uh, thumb suckers about the way that we should cover things now. Now that the fascist threat that we've been talking about nonstop for the last four years has magically dissipated for reasons that we're not really quite sure. 
Um, but you know, the the good guys use the best adjectives, and that finally smote smote the person down. Um, now we have to do this with our media in order to do this. Um, to the extent that those people are not acknowledging how much their own business is based on fear clicks of the bad guy and like, Mm -hmm. and like filling that role. Um, If they're not doing that as part of that process, that's a great early preliminary uh, indicator that their project is not going to be worth it. I think the question, it's a question I put to both of you is that um, what is the kind of cultural legacy of the Trump administration, what is it going to be? And by that, I mean, how has it affected the political classes who tend to affect, you know, how we view sort of broader, you know, trends in politics? So for instance, you mentioned Hillary Clinton. That stuff before I expressed some measure of surprise, right? Because there are probably things that aren't, you know, as in your face as Hillary Clinton coming out and saying, well, we should ban the use of X or Y word. Um, I think that one of the things that that has changed because of Donald Trump is the free speech debate. And I think it's because, you know, there's a lot of people who say basically that there's no free speech problem on, on, on campus. Um, we might have some a guest on uh, soon who will who can speak to that and whether or not that um, counter blast that, that this is all just the the imagination of uh, kind of alt right <laughs> people or something. What I find strange about this is how it is emboldened people who loathe the idea of truly free speech. And by that, I mean the ACLU fighting for Nazis at Skokie and all of us supporting the ACLU while not even really having to tell anybody that we find the people who they're defending loathsome and hope that they all get hit by cars in the next couple of days and they don't have the march because they're all dead. I don't care about these people. I don't like them, right? But we don't, we never, there was a point at which we didn't have to do that throat clearing all the time, right? And I think that, you know, when Donald Trump became this avatar of the alt-right, of, you know, the kind of Richard Spencer type class, and he was their guy, and you would see those people, the Proud Boys or whatever, going in the street with Trump hats and everything, and there's a white supremacist in the White House. If I were to see that headline, I wouldn't send it to you guys because I've seen it so many mm. times, right? There's, no, there's nothing new or interesting about that. And it's sort of shifted the debate in a sense that I talk to people and interact with people, younger people who don't see speech in the same way I do. And I do believe that it's because of Donald Trump. And most of them I've talked to, Donald Trump comes up and it's like, look, if you allow these thoughts out there, if you allow these views on platforms, right? Because people are just dummies that just have to read a Facebook headline or see a YouTube clip, and the next thing you know, they're neo-Nazis, right? And we saw an example of this this week, right? A really, really dummy example of this this week. And I hate to go back to him, but our dear governor, Andrew Cuomo, signed a bill into law effectively banning uh, Confederate flags, Nazi symbols, hate symbols, their words, from, you know, state, you know, I think one of the things they kept on talking about was state fairs. Yeah, state-owned properties. State-owned properties, and it was like state fairs, et cetera, which is, I mean, a 12-year-old could tell you that this is unconstitutional. 
And in the reporting of this, some of the people like adjacent to whoever wrote this bill and pushed it were saying, yeah, yeah, we know it's unconstitutional, but wait, so wait a second, <laughs> why are you wasting our time enforcing court challenges and wasting the court's time? And well, because we're trying to prove now to everybody that the governor and our party are good people and we don't like Confederate flags, which, by the way, are not adorning all of the buildings, state buildings in New York City. I haven't seen one. Maybe <laughs> one popped up at a sale at I mean, a dude, state fair. Rochester is pretty rough. Rochester is I mean, <laughs> the Stonewall Jackson uh, uh, statue up there. But the amazing thing about this was reading the bill and the flabbiness of the language here, which is hate. Right. So that's the word which means a lot to a lot of people these days. I mean, talk about a word that you could spend you know, months trying to define. They have a definition for this, but it's not enumerated in this. It says, the state of New York uh, shall not sell or display. And this, of course, means on state property, meaning you know, some schmuck who's selling something at a state fair, right? Um, and again, this is a bill responding to a problem that doesn't exist. Uh, shall, uh, sell or display any symbols of hate or any similar image or, te- or tangible personal property inscribed with such as an, such a, oh, Jesus Christ, this is a horrible language, inscribed <laughs> with such an image unless the image appears in a book, digital medium, museum, or otherwise serves an educational or historical purpose. By the way, the first problem there is what if the book is the Turner Diaries? I know what they're trying to say, that like if there's a, a swastika in a history book about World War II, you can't ban it. But, you know, there's a lot of other books that you probably don't want sold on, on state yeah. property. That that's, but my, my favorite thing is that uh, th- for the purpose of this section, the term symbols of hate. Now, this is the important thing. The term symbols of hate shall include, but not be limited to, yeah. symbols of white supremacy, neo-Nazi <laughs> ideology, or the battle flag of the Confederacy. By the way, battle flag of the Confederacy is capitalized. <laughs> so interesting enough. But there is that parenthetical there, but not be limited to. Yeah. So we are leaving open, the government of New York is leaving open the definition of hate. So what is that? What can I say? Communist symbols or hatred? Was that? ACAB. ACAB. What's ACAB stand for, Nancy? Oh, all, all cops, cops are, are bastards. bastards. Yeah, ACAB, yeah. That, that doesn't sound friendly. I, they probably hate the cops because they Sounds think like they're literally cops. all bastards. They should not be doing that. They spray paint it on, on buildings. Is that hateful? But I think when I saw that, I'm like, yeah. And everyone's like, who cares? It's going to be over. Well, you have a governor who is, you know, the, 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 you know, loved by the media, the hero of COVID, As- signing this this stupid unconstitutional bill in law, knowing it's unconstitutional. And he's on the short list for attorney general. In the on the short list for attorney general. The I mean, person who might the top enforce lawman the laws. is saying <laughs> that I am going to say, I agree with this unconstitutional piece of legislation because you and I, and I'll tell you what, Andrew Cuomo, you're, you released a hate, uh, a piece of hate literature with uh, vote for Cuomo, not the homo. So maybe we should retroactively put you in jail. But the thing about it is like, yeah, yeah, it forces you to be like, no, I know that that's hateful, but it should not, you should not be doing this. It should not be illegal. You should not say the state can actually, you know, approve of one ideology over another, even if that ideology is bad. And you are in this era, and this is, I guess, the point, on your back heels in defending the fact that the bad stuff is what 
always needs defending, not the good stuff. Yeah, and, and I, I saw a lot of people, including some libertarians, um, say things along the lines of, well, it's just state property. It's all hate symbols and not just the Confederate flag. Why are you listening to the New York Post uh, and et cetera? And, um, you know, that your idiocy is going to be limited um, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not idiotic. It doesn't mean that it's not cons- anti-constitutional. And let's be clear, like Cuomo said, this probably violates the First Amendment so we're going to have to work on that. Yeah, but I'm going to sign it. I'm going to sign it. Anyway. <laughs> Why don't you send it mean? back to them and say the fucking bill needs to be worked on? Yeah, we're go- we're going to have to work on that. I don't sign rid of anti-constitutional bills, fuckers. <laughs> that's, that's also an option. But when people say, well, it's just this, it's just that, it's like the way I see that is the moment. This is very much reflective of the moment that we're living in. There's so uh-huh. many people that believe that we are Europe. In that there is hate speech, the pe- the number of people that use hate speech in you know the news media in you know casual conversation about things that are said in America, fine if you want to use that and call it hate speech, that's great. I don't I don't care. But once you say that in in suggest that it has some sort of legal shape, which it doesn't, and Europe it does, right? You can't you, you can be guilty of hate speech, right? The number of people who want to go towards that model rather than save the kind of American model. If we're looking at certain demographics, I think people in our industry, people in certain age groups uh, with college educations, living in certain cities, I would say far more of them are, are, and again, this is just anecdotal and I could be wrong about this. Hopefully we will talk about this next week. Hopefully we'll be talking about this next week with some, a special guest. Yes. Anyway, that's my stupid rant. Well, I I wanted to, to return for a moment to what you were, what you were talking about a second ago, Matt, because I think there's maybe a little more to mine. Um, the you talked about what these media organizations are are doing, like what the core deliverable is, the job. Maybe we're just talking about the incentives for media organizations broadly, and the degree to which making you terrified is kind of part of the business model. Um, but I'm reminded of a column that. Moynihan shared with us a little earlier this afternoon. Who was it? Was it Oliver Darcy over at CNN who had this column? Yeah, about, about the vaccine analysis. Why it's crucial that news outlets get it right when covering adverse coronavirus vaccine reactions. And I believe this post is being written in response to a New York Times piece that was covering a, a person in Alaska or something like that who had a pretty severe reaction to the vaccine. I'm not sure which one it was, but the piece actually has some rather good advice in it about the importance of being measured and nuanced when covering things like this, because it could have some pretty substantive impacts on the way that people understand problems. There is a doctor who's quoted here who goes on to say things like, an isolated instance doesn't equal widespread voting fraud. And isolated adverse events shouldn't erode confidence in these vaccines. Multiple anecdotes do not equal data. Uh We actually have solid safety data for Pfizer vaccines from the phase three efficacy trials. And the vaccine appears safe in groups in which it was studied. Now, the specific claims about the vaccine, we could maybe talk about that separately, but that's something else. The... 
I'm actually now I'm a little worried that someone is going to read into that too much if we don't talk about it later. I'm just saying that I don't want to talk about the vaccine right now. <laughs> I think that the specific thing, though, the or the general advice that's being offered here with respect to like anecdotes, not equaling, you know, very clear evidence of some specific bad thing um, and not focusing disproportionately on a couple of instances of something bad happening that seemed to fit the facts of a particular narrative. I think that's great advice. Um, I only wish that concern about how we're reporting on things like this, given all of the ramifications and the social and political environment that we find ourselves in, extended to things like Russian collusion or racial equity and justice um, or police-involved shootings. And in all of those areas, it seems that that is not the kind of advice you're likely to get. Um, here, however, with respect to vaccines, like the expected narrative um, is one where we're supposed to be encouraging people. Again, this is journalists assuming a particular mandate, um, and we have to be very careful not to mislead people into believing that the vaccines might be dangerous. Including, Camille, on the just question of the coronavirus itself and on its effects. I'm uh, focused sure. for reasons that are obvious, uh, especially on the question of schools being opened or not. And if you were being faithful about your truth-seeking as opposed to your anecdote farming, um, it's hard to imagine that anyone beyond early July coming up with any other conclusion but that, um, comparatively uh, to the rest of all populations, people who are under the age of 12 in schools or in any kind of edu system, uh, daycare, whatever, summer camp, um, we're not catching, spreading, suffering from coronavirus. Uh, at all compared to the rest of the country or the rest of the demographics, nor were in any meaningful sense the people who were watching over them. This was obvious back then in July, in July of this year, as late as October, the, um, uh, you know, boringly always talking about science, governor of New York was like, science, science, um, was worrying that elementary schools were being these vectors of transmission when they were just not. Like, it wasn't happening there. You would still get these anecdotal stories, or even an anecdotal or, like, a single-sourced um, uh, kind of study, or a single study, not even sourced. Like, study from South Korea, study from X place showed that an alarming number of kids. Okay, so let's get some context about that. For those of us who were like trying to figure this out for self-interested reasons, um, it was so frustrating to see the basic tenor of coverage. The basic tenor of news coverage at that time was exactly what Oliver Darcy right now is saying we shouldn't do. It was anecdotes. It was this school in Georgia. And if you looked at it closely, it was a school in Georgia where everyone um, made sure to never wear masks, and also they sang in each other's faces all day long. And it was also one school in an entire state called Georgia, or one summer camp, that had these stats over here. You would never see those stats. To this day, 
to this day, every single day you, you look on Twitter, you'll see someone say, or, or or just in newspapers, you'll see someone say, like, if only Trump weren't like this, then we wouldn't have that uh, horrifying results uh, for the coronavirus. That may be true. A way for them to prove that it is true is to compare the country's per capita rate versus anyone's. Do you ever see that? Do you ever see that in that? Never story you literally never see that in school opening stories from july until weirdly about the end of november i'll get to this in a second you never saw a comparison to all of the countries uh in the industrialized world that by then had opened their schools not just open their schools their kids aren't wearing masks their kids aren't like forced to be in a room with only eight students as Ours are here, and therefore 25 to 50 percent of the teachers are remote because the teachers' unions have clout and they're worried about their own health. And so, as in the case of Chicago, because the teachers must be remote, we have to hire new people to supervise the kids in schoolrooms <laughs> so that they can look at a computer and be taught by their teacher via remote. All this crazy shit only happens in America. We only saw the comparative news stories at the end of November. What happened in the end of November? Two things we're thinking about, maybe even three. But one big one is that you no longer had Donald Trump as the scapegoat. That went away. Whoops. Now all these pissed off parents have to be pissed off at somebody else, right? Joe Biden mm -hmm. yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday, on, on Wednesday, Joe Biden had a meeting with 31 governors via Zoom. And he said, um, hey, look, I know this is not popular, but like, we're going to need to reopen the schools within 100 days. Great. But then also, like, within 100? Yeah. How about within, like, one motherfucker? Yeah. Not, no. not that it's his job, but the yeah. reason why he's talking about it is because he's going to be showering them with all the money pretty damn soon, right? Um, uh, it's, it, it is appalling the way that they have treated these stories. But the other uh, element besides Biden winning and Trump losing is that we've gotten the enrollment numbers and the teachers unions. It's incredible to see the amount of furious backpedaling that they've done in the last couple of weeks because, whoa, 5% um, of, the, uh, of the population in public schools vanished. That means you don't get funding. That means you don't get new teachers to pay dues to your union. You're going to have to come up with some kind of accommodation. And so suddenly they're talking about this. The news media was four months late on this. Right now, Liza Shapiro, who I've flung you know, feces at on this podcast, she's been great. She's been reflecting the kind of upper middle class view of parents in New York who are furious about all this shit. Um, and she's turned. It took all of them four months to be where the science absolutely was in July, which is that you're not getting it in schools and schools should be open. I think Camille's point is the right one. I mean, I, I, I mean, the small kind of caveat to it is that in, in the sense of that Oliver Darcy article in saying, let's be a little more circumspect about this. Let's not scare the hell out of people. Um, that's a step in the right direction. It seems like, right? But then again, you realize that it's a step, a step in the right direction because it's the right direction for them, right? If it goes in a different direction, it's a scaremongering story that, <laughs> that is, you know, favorable to their narrative, then okay, right? 
So my worry about it is like anything where it sounds like, and I'm not suggesting that's what he's saying, but sounds like journalists are trying to sort of socially engineer the response and socially engineer yeah. people and saying like, don't tell them about this because <laughs> they might get the wrong idea. I, I hate that stuff, yeah. right? But you, you know, if it were the case that, you know, we cared about the real data, it's like, no, no, they're trying to socially engineer you on stuff that's actually true also, not just stuff that is not representative because it is true that it's not representative. This, you know, uh, woman, I think it was in Alaska, you know, uh -huh. and, and, and these doctors saying, hey, we have the data. I'm like, well, I'm glad you guys are on board with uh, streamlining these, the approval pro process for new drugs. <laughs> that these, this data is sufficient. <laughs> it's fast. It's great. Terrific. We're on the same page now. But if you can get people like that to come out and say during any of the, this reporting that, you know, the people that are dying in Sweden, I remember looking at the Swedish numbers on the, the, the health ministry's website, and I said to a number of people that very day, I sent them screenshots of it. And it was like, I can't remember the numbers, astronomically high. It was something like 80 odd percent of the deaths were people over 80 years old. Now, that is in no way, because this is often interpreted by people who are bad faith actors and who are bad debaters to say, oh, well, you know what? We don't care about 80 year olds dying. Well, no, of course we care about 80 year olds dying. But we're also trying to tell people where the risks are. And you're trying to subsume that to this like, you know, horror, this idiotic campaign that you don't care about old people and you want to kill grandma, et cetera. No, when, when people that I know who are smart people are saying, I can't go X or Y place because I might die of coronavirus. Now, today, in the past couple months, Maybe the media is not doing its job on a, a number of levels. Maybe not, it's not that just like, oh, God, we have to write this long editorial about how people, we don't want to give them the wrong ideas. Oh, don't overcover this story of, a, of a, a woman dying. It's like, you know, it's also not your fault, not the media's responsibility to report or not report something because you know that people only read the headlines. Because I know in the context of all these pieces about this woman, there is this contextual information about how this almost never happens. And there's all of this uh, data of safety, et cetera. But you know that they're not going to read that, right? Because they're going to read the headlines <laughs> on your fair. fucking website. And you're like, well, so we just, what? We shouldn't report it because people are bozos. So we, th those of us who actually read this stuff, we have to suffer from, you know, not getting interesting, real information that, yeah, it might not be representative, but I'd like to know about it. And I think that it's relevant to actually report on it. But this, I this, this idea in the sense that, we constantly have to cuddle people because they're going to get the wrong idea. You know what? Here's the thing. This happens to everybody. Everybody has bad ideas at all times. Everybody's misinformed about things. It's not just Trump people. It's not just the Trump people. God, no. It is not just the Trump people. <laughs> Guess what? I've talked to the Trump people. They got some bad ideas. So many bad ideas. I'm like, where the fuck did you get this? O-A-N-N-N? -N -N? I mean, where the hell is this lunatic shit coming from? And then I'm like, oh, my God, I get on a plane and go home. And I get them sitting at a dinner party. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> These people of like, you know, there's a uh, racist militia out there who killed 70,000 uh, Hispanics, Latin, Latinx people in the last week. And I'm like, I, I don't I don't I didn't see that report. And then, you know, on the Corona stuff, it's like, you know, we're going to err on the side of caution. And, you know, by the way, we shouldn't. My favorite is Naomi Campbell. 
you know Naomi Campbell, the, uh, the yeah yeah, the, yeah. Uh, telephone throwing uh, dyspeptic <laughs> supermodel. She flies in a full fucking hazmat suit. You know that? No. Oh, look yeah. it up. Is and there was reason. Hot? I can't tell. She's in a fucking hazmat yeah. suit. <laughs> I imagine she is, but she's in a suit. Maybe she's not. I don't know. I'm judging Napolitano talking about it. She's in the suit. <laughs> what part of the Constitution? What part of the Constitution is the suit? <laughs> but she, there was a story the other day, and it was like she, where she buys them. And it's like, how about in the, the, the lead paragraph, you say, this woman is a fucking lunatic, and this is like, ridiculous. But hot. Well, I, again, yeah, yeah, yeah. who knows? Yeah. We there are literally photos you could look she, this up. She's still hot. Oh, just she's look. I, she, I guarantee you, she's still hot. Um, there are there are pictures of her in like first class lounging. That she looks like she is going to fucking clean up Chernobyl. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and we're like, oh, look true, at Naomi in her little suit. It's like, no, 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 they're all crazy. Here's the thing: everybody is stupid and crazy. Everyone. With the exception of three people who host this podcast, everyone else is in. Wow. Yeah, it's a bold claim. It's a lot of shade on Nancy. It's a bold claim. I mean, do you have to point it out? I mean, I think that, like, she's not going to get it because she's not, you know, with us. So you don't have to point it out. All right, um, I'm done. I'm leaving. <laughs> one, one, one thing um, related to the public schools, uh, this headline that I saw, and not just headline, but I, I read this post as well, but the headline that I saw about um, Chicago public schools hiring 2,000 new workers, yep. no Chicago residency required to help reopen the schools, and the subhead, half of the jobs, which pay $15 an hour, include supervising students in classrooms where teachers are remote. Yeah. These people are being paid to monitor social distancing and masking and health screenings. So these people can be paid to work in the schools, but it is too dangerous for the teachers to show up to work who are at home. It is diabolical. Earlier. But like, not just that, uh, Camille, but like- Camille, they're poor people. It doesn't uh, matter. <laughs> in in New York, actually, since uh, that was sarcasm, by the way. The I like that. spring, <laughs> um, when everything was closed down in the spring, not everything was closed down. There was these uh, distance learning centers or learning distance centers or whatever um, here, especially for the poorer kids. So they were able to come into a place. That place was often a closed school where they were supervised by people who were not teachers and um and usually those the the working conditions there were less stringent than ones that the schools were demanding or the unions were demanding time or that Tom Cruise is demanding on set yes <laughs> uh which which is actually a very endearing rant we are trying to save this industry people's jobs are on the line Put on your fucking mask. If I see you take that mask off again, you're fucking fired. You're all fired. Yeah, he's going to fucking send you to Sea Org. I mean, that's better than him <laughs> jumping on the sofa, you know? Nothing with, with is better, fact-checked. Yeah. Nothing is better than yeah. him jumping on the sofa. I don't know. That is fantastic. Actually, I always, always thought that was David a little overblown. But <laughs> it's too close. I <laughs> know, uh, just that like it's it's been happening here in New York for a really long time. And uh, and they haven't talked about it like the the city, the Department of Education media, for the most part, hasn't talked about these places, because if they did, they would note that 
people aren't catching coronavirus at these places, these remote locations, which are which are staffed by, you know, $15 an hour or $20 an hour people, um, while 25, I mean, 25 to 50 percent of public school teachers in New York and Chicago are saying we want to be remote. And and I respect those who are worried about their health. Um, you know, maybe you have an autoimmune deficiency disorder and you don't want to show up for work. I sure. get it. Sure. Um, Some people have legit concerns. Sure. Also, the positive test rate in New York schools among randomly tested people uh, since October, um, they've tested more than 200,000 staff, teachers, students. It's 0.4% rising. Wow. Used to be just 0.18. So it's been it's been like clicking up a little bit, but it's basically some of the safest places that you can be. And so so have been these distance learning centers um where, you know, you know, 23-year-old kids are pointing the students in the direction of the teachers. At some point, and that point is now, people are going to realize, holy shit, are we really just paying all of this money, and in big cities, it's usually uh, an astonishing amount of money, like eighteen, twenty, twenty-three thousand dollars per student per year in K through twelve institutions. We're paying that money. The kids are still not going to school. The, the The schools are supposed to be open in New York since December. My twelve-year-old has been to school seven times this year, and she won't mm. anymore. Since de Blasio reopened the schools, do you know the number of times my five-year-old will be in school from that moment until the end of this year? Three is the number. Three. Those, wow. That's the fully reopened schools that we're hearing about. And it's being touted by Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, by de Blasio himself, by the Biden administration as the model, as the model of how the rest of the country should go. So here's my message to the rest of you. I know you hate hearing us talking about New York. I'm saying, as I have about New York education for a while now, I'm sorry to report this is coming to the rest of you, right? Um, for those of mm. our good friends who are in California, whose schools haven't even been opened, Las Vegas haven't even been opened, um, they're going to open it on this model. Like Biden said yesterday, as I mentioned to these governors, we have to open the schools within 100 days. So what that means is that there's going to be a gigantic stimulus or relief package coming from Washington, and that Biden is worried that they're still going to keep the places closed because yeah. unions who have power are saying, we want to keep getting money. In fact, more money. Carranza, the, 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 head, the superintendents of New York and Chicago and L.A., <laughs> I wish I was making this up, co-wrote a piece in the Washington Post three days ago saying, we need a new Marshall plan for our schools. I'm gonna see if I can get Moynihan's attention here. He's like on his I'm, phone. I'm, I'm yeah, he's like Marshall, Marshall plan. plan. Yeah. Marshall plan. What? Yeah. We need a new Marshall plan for our schools, and we need it now. Um, this is just going to be a total <laughs> rattle. Any, anytime anyone you know, says we need a new Marshall plan for X, just turn the other way. It's every time it's something dumb. You can Google that. It's like it's been used since the Marshall it's plan. A, it's either Marshall plan or it's a moonshot. Moonshot. Yeah. Right? Mm. Or, yeah. or in, from a no one ever says we need a new Treaty of Versailles. I don't know why. Weird. <laughs> Didn't, I don't know. Yeah, I think out. Camille's worked, into that. Worked though. out okay the first time. <laughs> Do you That's notice that lie. Camille's getting like deeper? You can't yeah, see this, getting... ladies and gentlemen. 
He's getting like lounging deeper into his basket of laundry now. <laughs> Is that it's like a basket full of puppies? I mean, I, I'm, I'm I maneuvered the mic too. I'm put my legs up here. Oh my god! Um, yeah, pornographic. You know, Matt just, Matt just <laughs> left us. By the way, didn't didn't say anything about there's it. There's a there's a spectacular video of Marvin Gaye um, uh, rehearsing, and he's with his his uh, band, and they're like doing the thing and marvin is laying on a sofa just singing his ass off it's one of my favorite youtube videos <laughs> we should put that, that up with this shit. uh well what else i mean we were we're, we're been going for a while but no we, we should we should wrap it up soon uh, there are a couple of things though housekeeping um andrew schultz friend oh, of yeah. the podcast um yeah. and all-around good guy co-conspirator of uh charlemagne the god on the brilliant idiots podcast and of course the the founder of the flagrant podcast and the whole Schultz media empire has a new show that just premiered today yeah on Netflix and I believe it's is it called Andrew Schultz saved the world saves saves the world is yeah that the I think name so of this yeah. Thing? yeah yeah something yeah. like that you'll, yeah. you'll find it on Netflix um it's actually kind of remarkable because I remember um Andrew Schultz boldly predicting uh perhaps on Joe Rogan's podcast that Netflix was over and that they were going to die. And I don't know that that particular prediction was based in sort of economic analysis or anything, but Schultz was mad for a while because Netflix hadn't offered him, offered him any sort of gig. They weren't like going to do an Andrew Schultz special anytime soon, it seemed. But if you searched for Andrew Schultz on Netflix's website for a while there, you didn't get anything related to him, but you got some other comedians. Yeah, like yeah. there's no content involving yeah. him. But if you're searching for Andrew Schultz, we'll serve you some comedians that you might be interested in. Yeah, they they kept now on he's got they kept on telling you to show. like watch Nanette. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. he's got a show on Netflix. Um, I believe it's like four or five episodes that are already published. They're like 15, 17 minute uh, kind of monologue things. Totally like COVID era production. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I can guarantee you that there are some brilliant and funny and insightful things happening there and daring uh, and brave if Andrew is still uh, permitted to be Andrew. Um, so you should go check it out. And I have a pledge from him that we will uh, chat about this project yeah. um, at some point. And, well, you know, 20, 2020 has been a somewhat shitty year. This is definitely one of the highlights for me is Andrew Schultz Absolutely. ending up with a, a Netflix show. This is this is a good thing, people. Even if you don't think the man is funny because you got hit in your head at yeah. some point as a child by your <laughs> yeah, aunt yeah. who just hates you, it's fucking funny, and you should just be laughing. Yeah. Um, so this no, is a good thing. I'm glad watch it's happened. Carrot Top or Nanette or whatever you're interested in. <laughs> but um, I can't say this when Andrew's on the show. We'll have him back um, soon. Is that the great thing about Andrew Schultz? And as I like, you know, I. Don't watch the news, and I just try to watch as much comedy as possible, especially in this era. And uh, Andrew's Andrew's amazing because you can watch him with Charlemagne, right? And you can watch and listen to him on uh, the uh, podcast he does with that. What's his name? Akash, who's very funny. No, the 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 Akash one is. uh, Those guys are hilarious together. And there's times when they just sound like teenage boys, and then all of a sudden you can listen to Andrew switch and be the smartest motherfucker in the room by a lot. I mean, Andrew, I don't know how he does it because the hardest thing in this time Mm. for comics 
is to do something without an audience. The audience is the most important part, it's particularly for Andrew, where if you go to, to, to YouTube <laughs> and just do Andrew Schultz crowd work. Oh my God. He's the master of crowd work. Like I've never seen yeah. like him and Dave Attell, Dave Attell's crowd yeah. work. I've been like seen that at the cellar a million times. And at like one in the morning when Dave Attell like, you know, sort of shambles onto the stage and like, you know, goes off. He's the funniest man in the world. Schultz is of that caliber of doing crowd work. So you take away the crowd, right? And what the hell do you do? You do like a to the barrel, the camera thing. There's a lot of people that I've seen try to do this. Um, the guy who uh, does the Daily Show now. What's that uh, guy's name? Trevor, Trevor Noah. Um, all these people. It's so unfair. Somehow Andrew in his studio before Netflix bought this was doing these videos like, you know, whatever, five, 10 minute videos in which he's looking down the barrel of the camera and he is, he's got it. Like, I don't know how he does it with no audience there. And I've sent these to a million people and everyone's like, they're amazing. And they all have like a million views. And finally Netflix, I have to say good on them because, you know, Spotify had, you know, got Rogan signed up Rogan. And there was an internal revolt. And then Rogan mm-hmm. had on Alex Jones because he now lives in Austin. And when I went to Alex Jones's studio in, uh, in Austin and he kept on telling me, because <laughs> it was like, he was like the old guy who said, I once worked in a film with, uh, with uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart or something. I was in the background. He was like, oh, no, I know Joe. I know, I've known him for, he's like taking out pictures from his wallet and the, and like he was a guy that was a goofball in the town. He's in Richard Linklater's Scanner Darkly, and they know each other, right? And so he goes back on the show recently, and now there's another revolt in Spotify. Like, oh, we can't have this, and people are up in arms, and they, you know, dig their heels in and say we paid 110 million dollars, whatever. Go fuck yourself. I'm happy that Netflix is kind of doing the same thing because, um, you know, Andrew's not does not have crazy views, does not have extremes. He's just funny and there's no sacred cows and fuck everybody. And that's dangerous these days. The other thing I would say about Andrew uh, is that uh, this last four, these last four years have really killed comedy or better set said um, comedians have killed themselves, killed their craft Mm. over the last four years. The reaction to Trump has just been awful. I've attempted to watch Saturday Night Live last few episodes. It's, 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 it's really awful awful to watch and there's all this clapter and all this kind of stuff and andrew even sitting on his couch doing his youtube things little five minute whatevers um it's funny he's talking about the the, the one he did on sean king is one of the funniest things i've seen oh my god oh my god thurgood marshmallow (laughs) (laughs) he's talking about stuff that's happening right now and he's also doing it in a way the only other person who is on the same planet as him and granted it's a bigger planet as is dave Chappelle, right yeah. like Chappelle leans into it yeah he's not going to shy away from it colin quinn has tried in his way and, and like in in a lesser i think uh way in terms of impact um the new york stories was fantastic but like his red state blue state which i saw in person and i love yeah i saw the new york story at the at the cherry land theater it's it it super yeah. great but like yeah. just in terms of like cultural impact and leaning into the news of right now yeah um it's Chappelle is here doing his own kind of crazy thing. And I don't know who else is on that list besides Andrew at this point. It is so good. It is really funny every time. And he's also leaning absolutely into the, the craziness of the moment 
without coming out on the other end making you think like oh, yeah that's not funny and i also feel a little bit dirty. in quinn like you know it's it's boring and cliche to say it he's the comedian's comedian you know every comic loves him and um we have a few uh mutual friends and i ran into him one time and we started talking and i of course did the thing that everybody does um who has a memory of it is said that tough crowd was one of the greatest shows i'd ever seen right and it there's a political kind of thing that happened to it that got it canceled and john stewart was on you know they gave it all to john stewart and said you know screw you and it was one of the greatest shows it had all these really i mean it, it made america or some people in america fall in love with the great patrice o'neill rest in peace the great uh Boston comedian, uh, and also rest in peace, Greg Giraldo, one of the greatest, funniest guys who is the king of the roast. Just look at Greg Giraldo's roast. And um, I said to him, I said, you know, I really miss that show. And why don't you do it again? To which he said, you know, people have said that to me for a while. And he said, I don't know if I could do that now. And I knew what he was saying because the way that conversation went, I mean, talk about no sacred cows. I mean, these guys are funny as fuck. Hmm. And it was, you know, it wasn't Jon Stewart, just put it that way. And when you have a guy who knows comedy and the comedy world and the comedy scene as well as Colin Quinn saying, I don't even think that show could be done today. I will say it's incredibly heartening to see that, uh, that Andrew Schultz, but you know what Andrew had to do? He had to work harder than everybody else. He had Which to, he had true to, fucking did. Look at the fucking comics that have that have stand-up specials on it's Netflix true. who you've never heard of. Never heard of. I saw one of this woman, I think she's from Queens or something, and I was like, I'll watch it, you know, maybe she's funny, whatever. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? And never heard it, never heard since, whatever. Andrew's on Netflix because every one of those videos has a million views. And his mm-hmm. merchandise sells out of me. Andrew's like a one man, like he's doing well. And he's doing well because he's funny and doesn't care. And he said, I'm going to do it on my own. And that's the way you have to do it these days. I mean, there's a, you know, a Glenn Greenwald or whoever doing Substack. We're at Nancy Rollman's house, by the way. Nancy Rollman has a Substack. You should subscribe. Um, (laughs) Just, you know, just just so you know. Um, And he's that version in comedy who's like, I'm going to do this by myself. And he's pretty explicit about it. uh, That kind of where he's why he's doing it by himself. And I remember, I think he even maybe said on our podcast that like, you know, no one's coming knocking. And I think he was shooting a special in L.A. He was. The Coliseum. Is is there a Coliseum? Not the Coliseum. Um, That used to be where the Lakers played, the old Coliseum, right? Yeah, that was a big arena. No, what was the name? I don't believe that's what it was. But he, he just added like another date or two right before the shit hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But he was shooting that on his own, right? Right away. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like self-funding it and going to do a thing like Louie and Louie, by the way. Yeah. Palladium. I think it was a place. But that's a proper. It was it was a big big venue. And, you know, he was shooting the moon. And I think, you know, he's was, you know, doing great. And I think it was going to have a full house. But um, like Louie, you know, gets canceled for what Louie got canceled for and, um, you know, does his own thing on the website, on his own website. And I bought it. And it was very funny. And you know what? Didn't get any media coverage. Didn't get reviewed as far as I saw. I think maybe the New York Times did something about it, but I didn't see a lot of stuff about it. Came and it went. And I think he made pretty good money on it. And it was great. And it was funny. Um, And that's kind of how you do it these days. And now it's so funny to see these 
companies who basically set this precedent now trying to catch up with the precedent that they set and kind of override it and say, no, no, we can have Andrew Schultz on. That's fine. That's fine. We can have Joe Rogan on Spotify. That's okay. That's okay. So maybe we're turning a corner and these guys who are funny, but once in a while say a thing that is, according to people that I don't really care about, is the wrong thing. They can go fuck themselves because they're not funny anyway. Um, you don't want somebody on, you know, who has no idea what is funny and is a you know, grim, morbid person. They always have the same uh, headshot, by the way. You click on them on, on Twitter. <laughs> I can draw a picture of them. Like they like I know. both genders. I know what they're doing. I can just yeah. draw that. They all look like their bios are the same. What? And both? they're the I'm one. Uh, uh, yeah, I, both. Uh, well, hold on. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not done. Both the both the boring <laughs> ones, and now the new amazing ones. I'm gonna get to those. But you know they're telling you what what is funny and what isn't. I remember this headline of like Dave Chappelle's thing comes out. And it's like, don't watch this special. I was like, I'm sorry, did you just tell me not to watch something? Because it because you don't like what? You don't like the jokes or you don't like what Dave Chappelle said about, you know, a trans people in a joke fucking four years ago or something? The headline was literally don't watch this. Don't. It's bad for you. Don't watch it. It's like smoking. It's gonna it's gonna hurt you and it's gonna hurt people around you. So don't do it. Anyway, long version of saying really happy that Andrew has a, has a show. Yeah. Came out today as we're taping this, December seventeenth. It's great. Camille, you still I'm, here? I'm Hello, seeing, Camille. Yeah, I'm seeing some doing? some odd news that I'm trying to interpret. No, no, I, I saw something on on come across Twitter, which I haven't had a chance to look at yet. It's an image. So of comment on it. That's what Twitter's all about. It says, "No, no." It says North San Francisco free travel zone, and oh yeah, there's some comment about um. Gavin Newsom and London Breeds insisting that there are like travel restrictions related to people coming into the San Francisco travel zone from outside of it and being forced to quarantine. I have no idea what any of this fucking means, but it just it strikes me as odd just because I'm 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 in North Bay now Camille, so i suppose i should understand this but it's not I mean... odd can i tell you where you moved and you're going to respond to this <laughs> i'm going to read you a headline and i want your response to it okay you talked about facebook okay. last week and you had to go fucking you know to a daisy festival at like hate ashbury or something so you had couldn't be here but this is the headline from business business insider Officials condemn the naming of a San Francisco hospital after Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and Priscilla Chan saying misinformation on fa- Facebook endangered public health. And they gave them what, $80 million or some, something like that? Yeah, there's 75 million, 80 million, same difference. So, yeah, so not enough, obviously. So, yeah, that's, that's where you live. Yeah. I also saw something about uh, Abraham Lincoln, like being having his name removed from his school yeah, or something. I like said that. it to to my friend in San Francisco, who you know too, and he was like, "It's the shittiest high school around. Doesn't matter." <laughs> <laughs> but oh my seriously, God. Camille, like Oracle, Elon Musk, a lot of people like leaving. yeah, all leaving, all leaving, yeah, yeah. all leaving. Right? You know what's funny? I. I have a number of responses to this. I mean, we we began. We'll we'll end as we began, perhaps. Yeah. Predictions, apocalyptic predictions, are frequently wrong, for with good reason, right? And people proclaiming the utter doom, inevitable, looming failure 
of San Francisco and New York City and blah, 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 blah. I mean, they're, they're probably wrong, right? Like just, just because those predictions are, are usually wrong. I think San Francisco I think there's... already failed. <laughs> Didn't huh? San Francisco already fail, Camille? Well, no. I mean, this is the thing. There are things that are wrong, right? But the region is, like, objectively beautiful. I just can't. There, there is something for sale here. For all of the bad policy and all of the other shitty things that exist here, the the weird culture, like there's a thing that you can't get anyplace else. And I'm like evaluating my options and I don't know that I'm going to be here very long. Um, but when I was thinking, man, I'm going to leave New York for a while. Do I go to Austin or do I go to North Bay? Like, I don't think North, I don't think Austin has any place that is even remotely as beautiful and serene as like Tiburon, like at all. You're the guy who goes to Munich in 1938 and is like, you know, I could settle down here. I don't <laughs> see any problems, beautiful mountains, fresh air, oh. kids in all wearing the same little uniforms. Imagine, <laughs> imagine this Camille. Uh, and I, I'm in the hills surrounding Munich. Okay? Yeah. I'm in the hills. If you're making the beauty Munich, argument, I can tell you, <laughs> Minsk isn't that bad either. Imagine this, Camille, like the stuff that you're looking at and responding to, and, and I, I actually love it because it's true. It is so beautiful. The Bay Area is so beautiful. And I said this is Southern California. Um, it is so remarkably beautiful. It's crazy. And there's also like really interesting history associated with it. Southern California, too, is beautiful. The deserts are beautiful. Even the Central Valley, sure. in its own way, is beautiful, or at least it's adjacent to Yosemite. California is fucking incredible. Like, the only thing yeah. that comes close to it is the depictions of New Zealand in the Lord of the Rings movies. Cape Town, South Africa. In Cape Town, comes, I've, uh, comes yes, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that exact thing. Yeah. Um, so imagine you have that plus mild weather as your comparative advantage. So it makes absolute sense that California would lead the country in population uh, since the 1960s. Imagine that you have what we talk about in foreign policy as the oil curse or the success curse of oil. Like, how do you squander that? How is it that Austin is doubling in size and there ain't, a single city in California that is doubling in size over that period of time. How is it that California is, or Texas is going to eclipse California in population probably within the next 15 years or 20 years max, but I think probably uh, faster. Like it's incredible. You had this beautiful thing and you also had two elementary clusters of Silicon Valley where you are and of Hollywood. And there's other clusters associated with Southern California besides just Hollywood, um, aerospace and other things. But like you had these things, they're built in, they're there and beautifulness and climate and all that. And you still fucked it up. <laughs> right. It's the resource curse. It's the resource curse. It, right. It's the resource curse. Austin doesn't have the resource curse. Austin just has people trying, it has bats and people trying to keep it weird. <laughs> So I'm saying that you made a mistake. That's a, but that that yeah. silence is all of us saying, "What the 
did he do? Yeah. Why is he? We doing would have that? all gone to Austin. <laughs> I would have gone to Austin. I think we might have all yes. agreed just now. Yes. To go to Austin. I literally just. I, Miami. I could still go to. I could still go to Austin. And Miami actually is is another place. Is another destination. I've talked to VCs recently who are relocating there. Miami um, is totally so, insane, yeah. and it's everything. Every stereotype of Miami that you've seen like on television is totally true. Uh, but it's also totally awesome. And it's full yeah. of well, like completely psycho Cubans who will stop you on the street and go, should know about QAnon? I'm like, I don't know, dude. I'm just trying to get a sandwich. The one that has like the potato, the papas fritas. And I don't know, man. Yeah. The little fried tomato. Well, it's great, you know? And it's full of fucking insane people. And um, it's, <laughs> I, I always enjoy it. And my last time I went yeah. and shot there recently, and I was with my producer, and I'd, I think I'd been there with him before. And I, we were leaving and we're like, God, what a fucking nightmare city that is so awesome. And we yeah. just were like, this is, we had so much fun and everyone is horrible. And like, there was the quarantine too. It was like people quarantining. <laughs> and yet on like, you know, uh, South Beach, there's still guys like driving down <laughs> to like South Beach with the like three wheeled cars oh, that yeah. are like, like BMWs, but they're not really. I think they got these like kit cars. They like weird and like, you know, Tejano music, I think it is. <laughs> coming out of it it's like bala, madana, madana. I'm like what the fuck and like everywhere you go it all sounds the same it's like bala, madana, madana, madana. I'm like whoa my god where am I and then the next thing you know it's like three in the morning and like my nose is bleeding and I'm like awesome this is the best and then I go home and I'm like god that was horrible and then I get there and it's amazing I don't know what I think of Miami let's all move there <laughs> So right. who knows Sold. who knows who knows where we'll be doing this from next week. Um All right, let's well, end no, this look, and go to this Miami. This is a, this is a rental, right? I don't know what happens later. All right. We'll see what happens. I've got I got options. I'm uh, I'm liquid. I'm feeling fine. So, you know. Wish I was whatever. <laughs> I'm a solid right now. Whatever. It's <laughs> soft out there. It's cool. All right. All right. Um Okay, let's go. So we're going to get out of here. We're yeah, 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 yeah. All right. All right. Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.